0: And the center of our faith is an empty tomb. That is why we're here. That is why we celebrate. That's why every church around the world, even just throughout history, we changed worship from Saturdays to Sundays to remember the fact that Jesus is risen. On the first day of the week, he rose again. And that's why we gather on Sunday, the first day of the week, to remind ourselves every single week that Jesus is risen. This is our hope. This is our joy. This is everything. Jesus Christ conquered sin, hell, and death. That we fully believe that God foreordained and planned that there would be one who would come, who would save us, who would rescue us, who would die in place for our sins, who would rise again. That many people would see this resurrection, see the risen Jesus. They would tell people about this. They would give their life for this truth. This truth has changed and shaped the world as we know it. You see, on the cross, sin was paid for, but the resurrection is our receipt, See, on the cross, we know it is finished. Jesus paid it all, but how do we know? We know because the tomb is empty. You see, that, again, the bill of sin was paid for on the cross. Thank you for the cross. But again, we know the payment, the transaction went through because the tomb was empty. Many people have died, but not known as rose again to stay alive. There's only one who rose again to stay forever alive. That is Jesus. And we're here to celebrate him. You guys might know this, but if Christ is not risen, we are of the most pitiful and miserable people on earth. If Christ is not risen, there's no point to this. Why would we be here? Like, why would we study the Bible? Why would we go through this? Why would we follow Jesus, have these practices? Why would we do this if Jesus is not risen? But, in fact, Christ is risen from the dead. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not risen, we're the most pitiful, futile men. But indeed, but in fact, Christ is risen. That's what I want to explore. I want to explore the fact that Christ is risen. I believe this is a fact. I believe there's great evidence for our faith in the resurrected Jesus. I believe that we can kind of go through the motions. I understand you might even believe, maybe to some extent. Maybe you don't. I would say if you doubt this, if you're cynical towards it, if you're skeptical towards it, what I love about Jesus on Resurrection Sunday is he meets people at their doubts. He meets people at their cynicism. And I believe he still does the same thing. That Jesus Christ, in fact, indeed is risen. And my hope and our prayer and our prayer for you guys, for everyone, is that whether you've been following Jesus for years or maybe you're just forced to be here, brought here, that this would be a reality for you, that you would experience the power of the resurrection, that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us, and that we might know that, that we might experience that. And that is our hope. We want to hold nothing back. We believe that Jesus still meets people. We believe that Jesus still interacts. He still speaks. He still saves He still does these things. And he wants to do it today. He wants to do it every day. And today's the day of salvation, I do believe. Again, we look back 2,000 years ago and remember the fact that Jesus' grave was empty and it forever changed the world. And so I want us to look at uh, an account here in Luke 24 where we're actually going to see two men who had this unexpected encounter with Jesus. They were not ready for it. They were not looking for it. They did not expect it. And Jesus met them where they were at. Uh, Luke is interesting to me. He's Dr. Luke. He writes in a very uh, detailed way. I really appreciate Luke's gospel and Luke's account of the resurrection. There are three stories specifically Luke gives us after the resurrection of Jesus. Three interactions. We'll see with the woman at the tomb. The the second one, the two men on the road to Emmaus. That's what we're going to look at today. And then Jesus gathered with the disciples in this room. Uh, He focuses on those three stories. And I just want to focus in on that second one. Luke also gave us the book of Acts. He also wrote a lot about Jesus, uh, also meeting with Paul, meeting with so many others, his brother, James. But my my hope to us today is to focus on this, because I think Luke, Luke who wrote the whole book of Acts goes, these are three important stories. We just want to focus in on that. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 24. Uh, We're actually going to start in verse 1, so we can kind of see how it all started, see how it all began. And then we'll focus primarily uh, on 13 through 35, where we see the two men on the road to Emmaus. So why don't we just read this historical account of the resurrection of Jesus. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. You guys ready? A lot of reading. We can do this. Luke 24, verse 1. It says, But on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, at early dawn, they, the women, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But... Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Do you remember that? And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these to the 11, to the 11 disciples and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking, in. he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened, still did not believe. Verse 13, that very day, that very day, this is still Easter Sunday, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened, and while they're talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. Uh, They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels and said that he was alive. Verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. (laughs) And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted—I love this—he acted as if he was uh, were willing to go farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, "Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day now is now far spent." So he went in to stay with them. When he's at the table with them, he took the bread, and blessed and broke it, and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. <laughs> so cool. Verse thirty-two. They said to each other, "Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures?" And they rose that same hour. And returned to Jerusalem, going back the seven miles. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. And has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road. And how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Jesus showed up in an unexpected way. And it led to this unexpected outcome. And I just want to pray and ask that God would continue to show up in unexpected ways this morning. Why don't we do that? Father, we just want to thank you for the fact that he is risen indeed, your son, Jesus, who this story, it has the weight and meaning because of the cross, because of what you did for us. And we thank you that 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 tomb, it was empty. Because Jesus, we believe that you rose again. You conquered sin and hell, and death for us, that we no longer have to fear those things, and we just want to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for meeting us, meeting these men, meeting Mary, meeting Thomas, meeting all of us in our despair and hopelessness, that you meet us in those moments. And we just say thank you. How we need you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, here in Luke 24, these two men... Had an unexpected encounter with Jesus. Now, this was not just uh, isolated to them. This happened to so many people that day. If you remember, Mary's in the garden, and she sees Jesus, doesn't know it's him, and all he says to her is "Mary," and she realizes she's with Jesus. If you remember, this happened to Thomas. Thomas goes, "I need to touch his. I need to see the the, the prints in his hands and feet. I want to put my finger in the, in the hole in his side and his hands. I want to see him and touch him myself." And then Jesus shows up in an unexpected way. It happened with the disciples having breakfast by the sea later. And Jesus shows up and cooks them breakfast by the sea. And obviously here, Jesus showed up in an unexpected way. Just time and time again, Jesus seemed to surprise his disciples and show up when they did not expect it. I don't know if you've ever had an unexpected moment that just radically changed your life. Like this unexpected surprise or thing that forever changed maybe how you lived or how you viewed something. You know, people say there's a saying, expect the unexpected. And I I get it. Like, expect those things you can't expect, but I also don't get it. Like, how do you expect the things you don't expect? Like, right? Like, expect the unexpected. Like, well, I don't expect it, so how should I expect it? I don't know if that's just me. But I get it, right? There's those things. Expect the unexpected. And they had that. And it forever changed the world. You know, years ago now, I think I had one of those moments, uh, an an unexpected moment, a surprise that changed my life. (laughs) Uh, When I was 18 years old, uh, for my birthday, my wife, who was then my girlfriend, wanted to surprise me for my birthday. Now, let me just give you some context. My wife, when she turned 18, I surprised her for her birthday. So the next year, she wanted to surprise me. Yes, my wife is a year older. She's an older woman. Yes, I know. Just a catch. What can I say? little cougar over here. Um, and so I surprised her. And so now it's my 18th birthday, and she wanted to surprise me. And I actually, for her 18th birthday, is was fun. You know, we lived in Southern California, I got us like tickets randomly, and I surprised her with this, this boat trip to Catalina Island. It's this little island off the coast of California. I think we took like the Catalina Flyer or Express, I don't know if you've ever, this made be nothing. But it like 45 minutes or an hour to get there, so much fun, there's like Buffalo on the island that they left for like movies, it's a really cool little island. And so I took her there for her 18th birthday, now it's my 18th birthday, and she's like, I wanna surprise you. So we get in the car, and we're driving, and we're going up to the LA area, and I'm like, oh, "Gosh, why are we going to LA? Whatever. Um, I'm like, we're going to do the Walk of Fame. I don't know. We're going to see." And then she pulls into like the port, and there's like the Queen Mary, and I'm like, "Are we taking a boat somewhere? Like, what are we doing? I don't even think that boat works anymore." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I know what you're doing. You're taking me to Catalina Island on a boat, aren't you?" She's like, "Yes, but no, not on a boat, on a helicopter." And my heart and stomach just sunk. Um, I am terrified. A flying, and when she said, I'm going to take you on a helicopter, I was like, oh, this is the worst birthday ever right away. And so I, like, I just said to her, I'm like, I'm like, are you sure? Do we have to? Is there any other thing? Like, is there a boat here? She's like, well, I thought you'd love this. Like, you get there in like 10 minutes. It's amazing. I'm like, I, I, and it turned into like one of those moments where like she's crying, I'm yelling. It was, it was truly awful. It's like, we have to get on the helicopter. It's going to leave. I can't get reimbursed. I've never spent this kind of money. Like, we have to go on it's like, oh my gosh, okay, well money, we can't get reimbursed. And I'm like, oh, we got to do this. <laughs> I don't know. We're 18. Oh, it is awful. It's like terrible. We walk into the place. She look, looks miserable and sad. I'm miserable and sad. I'm like, why do you guys look like this walking in? It's just a terrible moment. And the first thing they do is they take me. They say, hey, get on the scale. And they weigh me. And they weigh my backpack. I'm like, what? like do you want to know my weight upon my time of death? Like, what is this? It was so, that's my thought. They weigh us, we get in front of the helicopter, they take a picture of us. My mind works this way where I go, this will be the last picture people will ever see of me. Like, that's honestly how I think. This is is the worst thing someone could ever get me. So um, eventually we get on the helicopter. I, I swear, I'm making the, the pilot nervous because I'm nervous. They're like, I'm, I'm sweaty. I'm gross. I'm like not moving. I'm as stiff as a rock. My wife would like try to look out the helicopter, but like, don't you dare move. It was just, it was terrible. I'm like looking down at the water. All I imagined was us going down in between like California, and, California, California and I, and there's like great white sharks. I'm like, we're going to eat by a great white shark. It's going to be awful. I don't know. My mind was just going there. Obviously we finally land. We get there and the whole day is ruined because we have to fly back. And I'm trying to find a way, like, can we get tickets? Can we get out of here? It was, it was literally the worst surprise, the most unexpected thing. I know here's my wife who's, you know, trying to bless me, and here's my wife who, at that time, almost was not my wife after that point. I know she's trying to bless me. She's trying to do this, something nice, and it was a miserable thing, right? It's this unexpected surprise that terrified me, and I hated every second of it. However, We've all had those moments, moments that terrify us. We've all had unexpected surprise moments that have been awesome and incredible. They say expect the unexpected. I don't know if we really can. I I think that these disciples uh, experienced this unexpected moment with Jesus that they were just not ready for. They did not expect by any means. I mean, if you look at the language and what's being said in the dialogue back and forth, to me, it's hilarious. They had no idea who they're talking to. They had no idea how he didn't know what's going on. They had this unexpected encounter with Jesus and it forever changed their life. It forever changed history as we know it. And my thing is this, Jesus still does show up in unexpected ways. He does. Jesus, I know for myself and many of you, has showed up at points in your life where you're not expecting it. I so believe that Jesus still shows up in unexpected, in unexpected ways. I believe he wants to do that today. Here's what I would say. I would just ask everyone, follower of Jesus, or maybe you're like, oh, I'm just here, or kind of whatever. I would say just consider Jesus. It seems like in life we consider everything. We consider, consider every worldview maybe other than Jesus. And I would just ask, consider Jesus. What I love about Jesus is that he, he embraces their doubts. He walks with them. My thing is this, um, Jesus can handle your doubts. He can handle your skepticism. He can handle those things in your heart that just kind of go, I don't, I don't like this. This doesn't sit well with me. And Jesus will walk with you in that. I would say consider the person of Jesus. There is no one like him. No one has changed history and culture as we know it other than the person of Jesus. You must consider Jesus. And I do believe that he can and will show up in unexpected ways. But I'd say this. Try to expect that. Maybe you don't expect it. But expect Jesus to want to meet you where you're at. He wants to show up. Do you know why the stone was rolled away that day? The stone was rolled away not so that Jesus could get out. You know, his linen, his clothes were in there. He didn't need the stone to be rolled away so he could get out. The stone was rolled away so that we could get in, so that we could look in and say, wow, it's empty. He didn't need it rolled away. We needed it rolled away. And listen, our God is not stuck. Our God is not captured. Our God is not hidden. He is risen. And I want you to know this and experience this. It's one thing to maybe hear about this. It's one thing to believe into this. And I'll say this, Jesus is so faithful to walk with us. So let's just reread some of this. Let's go through this. Three points today, they all begin with the word unexpected. All right, that's it. Number one is this, this unexpected visit. This unexpected visit. If you would, look at verse 13. I want to just read verse 13 again, what happens. Verse 13, it says this. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other uh, 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 we were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I find this fascinating. It is Easter Sunday. Jesus rose again. Here are these two disciples, and they're walking away from Jerusalem. Like, they just heard rumors that Jesus might be risen from these ladies. And they're still walking the other way. I find this mind-blowing that they say, man, Jesus might be risen. Or, they, they said that, the tomb is empty. And like, we're still gonna go to Emmaus that day. Like, still, with these rumors, I mean, if I heard these rumors, I think I'd take everything, I would stay. I would have to explore. I want us to see that they were obviously in such deep despair. They're like, no, 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 it can't be real. It, it can't be real. And they walked the other way. And I love that Jesus meets them. What is imp- really incredible and profound to me is that Jesus meets with them as they're walking away from Jesus. They're walking away from Jerusalem. They're walking away from the empty tomb. They're walking away, going seven miles from a The day he resurrected, the day they heard these rumors, they are walking away, and Jesus is like, let me walk with you as you walk away from me. Jesus is so faithful to walk with us as we walk away from him. I don't think we realize the the heartbreak that they were experiencing, and Jesus is like, I'm going to walk with you in this heartbreak. It says they're very sad. they, They felt hopeless, and Jesus is like, on this walk away from me, I'm going to walk with you. The grace of God honestly always blows me away. He'll always go farther than I expect him to. He'll always walk with me when I, when I don't expect him to. Jesus is willing to walk with these guys in their grief and sorrow and despair. And I so believe that still Jesus is willing to walk with you as you walk away from him. And Jesus is like, I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I'm willing to walk with you. It's the resurrection. I'm like, Jesus has better things to do in my mind. <laughs> He has better, like more people, to, I want to meet with people who believe this, but he's meeting with people who don't. It's, it says in verse 11, let's just read that again, because verse 11 points out, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. This is mind blowing. Like, these disciples definitely did not expect the resurrection. Like this is, this must be pointed out. No one was ready for this. No one was expecting this. The women come back and they go, that's just an idle tale. That's a fairy tale. We all know the resurrection of Jesus is a fairy tale. That's their initial response. This is from the followers of Jesus. Why this is so important, I believe, for us today is there's almost this mindset today that when we look back, we say, well, they were prone to believe in things like the resurrection. Like people in this day and time, they would believe in myths, but we, we have Google. <laughs> like, right? like we have fact checkers. We know, we know, we know. They might've believed that then. Like I gotta point this out, obviously, that no, they were not inclined to believe this. Not one bit. This is not like, oh, back then they would believe these things because they were just prone to believe in these things. No. In fact, they're not even close to believing these kind of things. We have to understand that according to the Greek and Roman culture, they viewed the, the body as something that like, you wanted to be liberated from. The body, material, evil. Spirit, good. Death was just liberation. Who would want to be resurrected to the Greek or Roman mindset? To the Jews. The Jews definitely did not believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in a resurrection for one point in the middle, for one man in the middle of history. The Jews believed if there was a resurrection, Daniel 12, that it would be at the end of time for everyone everywhere. But they didn't believe one man in the middle of history could rise. You see, my point is, this faith is not our and not their default position. This is so important to know. Because sometimes I think we look at the disciples, and we think maybe they're naive. We think maybe that's just, you know, that's just they're barbaric. This is back then we got to understand, I love what C.S. Lewis calls this idea, chronological snobbery. He's like, you know, as time goes on, sometimes we begin to think that, you know what, we, as time progresses, we know more than those cultures back then. And you must look down on those cultures back then. And we think, well, they are prone to believe this. They weren't. As skeptical as you are today, know that they were just as skeptical. Whatever evidence you would need to believe in the resurrection of Jesus was the same exact evidence they would need to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. For some reason, we think, no, no, they're just prone to believe it. No, no. They thought this is so much so their feet is going the opposite direction. Like, if I hadn't had like one ounce of me that believed maybe these women are right, I think I would have stuck around. I think I would have went to the tomb, but they don't. You see, I believe it's written this way because it's trying to show you and I that this was not their proclivity to believe in something like this. For them to believe in something like this, they had to have a radical encounter with the living Jesus for them to actually end up believing in him because they're not prone to believe this. You guys following me on that? You gotta see that. This is how, and Jesus is so faithful to say, I will walk with you and I will meet you where you're at. You know, I've said this before and I think it's worth pointing out. Faith is not our default position because in reality, do we even want this to be true? Because if Jesus rose again, that's a terrifying thought. That means he is Lord. That means what he says goes. That means I am not Lord. You see, in some ways, I, I think many people don't want the resurrection to be true because if it's true, they know what that means. One way to say that is the human heart does not want to believe in something that will make it give up control. We don't want to believe in something that will make it give up control because if Jesus rose again, that means I must give up control. And we've got to understand, though, Jesus is so good when we give up control. He's not some terrible, awful dictator. He's a loving servant God. But my my thing with this is, I don't think our heart is bent to believing. And I understand if your heart is not bent to believing in the resurrection of Jesus, I do get it. Because that means, because we want to keep control. I think they didn't necessarily have this idea that one man in the middle of history could rise again. But we'll see that they end up believing that. So let's keep going in this story. It says... Uh, uh, actually, verse 16 says about them, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, I find that fascinating. Obviously, there seemed to be some sort of spiritual blindness, like stay with me. Either God's like, no, no, you can't recognize Jesus. Like maybe there's something like that. But there's a couple other ideas maybe surrounding this because Mary didn't recognize Jesus, if you remember. The disciples having breakfast by the sea, they didn't really recognize Jesus. No one dared ask, it says, if that was him. My point is they didn't actually recognize him. And I think there's a couple reasons why. Here's the first thought um, when you and I think of this. Jesus may be in your life Right now, like them, and they don't recognize it, and maybe you don't recognize it. My thing is, Jesus was in their life, and they didn't even recognize it. I think there are many people I talk to and meet along the way, and Jesus is involved in their life. Whether or not they see that, I go, man, Jesus is involved. He's walking with you, and you don't think he's walking with you. They didn't recognize it. I always wonder, too, if there's a sense of ordinariness to Jesus. Like, imagine they're walking on the road, Jesus shows up, and it's like this ordinary guy. It's, it's mind blowing, because if you actually read like, some of the counterfeit gospels, Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Peter, they actually portray these angels glowing and dazzling, and they portray Jesus that way. We do believe they are counterfeit gospels, gospels of Thomas or Peter, other, this other counterfeits for a lot of different reasons, but notice how they would portray Jesus as dazzling, bright, brilliant. The gospels present him as like, I don't know who that is. Is that the gardener? Like, wait, they present him as just this ordinary guy. My thing is this. I think a lot of us want an encounter with Jesus, like this magical encounter with Jesus. And in reality, he'll show up in very ordinary ways. And you have to be ready for those ordinary moments. I think all of us want one of those crazy stories where we're Saul on the road and we're blinded by Jesus. And we go blind and no one knows what's happening. Like, we all want one of those moments. But more often than not, he'll meet with us in just those ordinary, simple moments walking along the road, walking away from him. They did not recognize him, it says. Verse 17, we'll keep going. Verse 17, it says, And he said to them, (laughs) What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? (laughs) I love this for so many reasons. They're walking. They're walking away from Jerusalem. Everyone knows what happened. Like, everyone knows. It's the talk of the town. I mean, this was not done in a corner. Paul would later say, as he spoke to King Festus, he's like, You know, Jesus died and rose again. Those things are not done in a corner. I find that very fascinating. These things were public. People knew about them. They're walking away. And then here's what happens. It's like, uh, Hey, guys, what are you guys talking about? What are we talking about? Uh, we look sad and we're walking away from Jesus. What do you think we're talking about? He's like, Well, what things? I just find that I love that Jesus is like, I want you to tell me what's going on in your mind and your heart. Like, I want you to tell me. This is such a good God. Obviously, God knows what's going on in our mind, our heart. He wants us to talk to Him. He wants us to tell him, hey, here's what's going on. He's like, what things? You tell me. He didn't say, I don't know. He's just like, what things? You tell me. I love that Jesus just went and asked that. Hey, what things? What's going on in your life? What's going on? Tell me. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? You know, that phrase actually in verse 17, like really stood out to me. It says, and they were looking sad. (laughs) I don't know. That's just so bizarre. Like Jesus obviously saw them. They look sad. They look defeated. They look like they're in despair. They're grieving, obviously. Jesus, the one they just served the last few years, He just died. Like, we lost, it's over. What's going on? They're sad. Here's what I have to point out. Um, I believe they were sad because obviously here's their mindset. They were living life as if there was no resurrection in it. They were living life like, there's no resurrection in the worldview. If there's no resurrection in your worldview, you should live like that. (laughs) Like, let me just actually be, this is so important to me. It's interesting how I think the world or modern philosophers or kind of just ideas today are like death is natural death makes life beautiful. Death actually gives value to life. I so disagree. They're feeding us lies with that. Death is not natural. The Bible says death is unnatural. Bible calls death the, death, the enemy. Uh, I've done a lot of funerals. I've been to a lot. Maybe you have. No one just goes, oh, this is just this is so good. We just made life more beautiful. You go, no, this is not natural. This is wrong. We were not meant to die. If you know from the very beginning in the garden, God made us to live forever, and He says, "The day you eat this, you're going to die. You're going to die, die in Hebrew. You're going to surely die, double die, twice." He literally says it that way. You're going to die, die. My thing is like, no, this was not meant to be. No matter what people might tell us, no, 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 no this makes life more beautiful because it's more meaning. I honestly believe we're being fed lies with that. No, this is, death is our enemy. And I love how Paul speaks about it. He uses it like he uses like war kind of language in First Corinthians 15. He goes, "Death is an enemy." But Christ has defeated death. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh hell, where's your victory? Christ rose again, death you lost. And I think that they were walking away very sad because in their in their mind, in their worldview, there's no resurrection. And I think when you believe in resurrection, it actually gives meaning and value to life. How can we argue for anything? If there's no sense of design, no sense of afterlife, how can something be evil, it be subjectively evil? People want everyone to say, this is wrong, agree with me, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is oppression, this is awful. Those, those things can only be agreed upon as wrong, I believe, if there is eternity, if there is resurrection, if there's one to say, no, no, it's not just wrong to this people group. It's wrong to everyone. My thing is this gives it so much more. It gives life meaning and weight. Jesus did rise again, but they lived as if he didn't. Without a resurrection in your worldview, you and I are the most men pitiful. There has to be a resurrection in our view, and Jesus is like, let me just change this for you today. Because Jesus is going to speak to them in just a moment and open up the scriptures. And he's going to say, no, no, there is a resurrection. And he's going to show them this. But I say, there must be a resurrection in our worldview. There must be. So verse 19, uh, Jesus said, what things? Let's keep going. Verse 19, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers uh, delivered him up to be condemned to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. This is, again, mind-blowing. They're walking with Jesus, talking to Jesus, talking about Jesus, but don't even know Jesus is with them. Like, here's Jesus, he's with them. They're like, we're gonna tell you about Jesus. He says, please tell me. I'm Jesus. I just love this. Like he's like, so this is like, hey, don't you know what happened? Jesus was condemned to death. There's mistrials that happened. He was crucified. Now it's the third day. He's been dead. They're like, they're telling Jesus about Jesus. It is it is unbelievable to me. But I love what I think what's really revealed is in verse 21. They say this we had hoped, we had hoped he'd be the one who'd redeem Israel. They're saying our hope died when Jesus died. We had hoped. We don't currently hope. Our hope died when he died. We had hoped that this guy would redeem Israel. You know, we're told, obviously, in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Their heart was very sick. It's like, we'd hoped. We thought this would be the guy that would redeem us. You see, Jesus didn't live out and do exactly what they were hoping. He didn't live according to their life scripts. They had a way they thought life would go, and it didn't go the way they wanted. I think all of us live with certain life scripts. I thought life would go like this. I I had hoped God would intervene or do this in this way at this time. You know, you really think about it. They had this, really this Jewish worldview, this Jewish script that the Messiah would come and that he would immediately reign. And Jesus had to show them this principle of suffering and glory, suffering and glory. He had to redefine their life script. And I really, what I want to show us today is that I think some of us come to Jesus with our life script and Jesus is like, let me give you a better life script. Maybe you had hoped. Can I I actually give you a better hope? Maybe that hope was shallow. Maybe you thought, I would be happier if I didn't do this. I would have been happier if my life went this direction. And these are false scripts. These are lies. That there is a better script for you and I to believe. I think this is so important because I think what's being really communicated here they're saying when we had hopes, they're revealing what their hope was in. And Jesus goes, you need to have your hope different. That I have a better hope for you. See, I actually want to point this out. Why were these disciples going to Emmaus. We really don't know, but we do know that Emmaus was really the last place we saw Jewish history and culture have victory over the oppressors. There is something called the Maccabeus War, uh, and there's something about the, the Emmaus War, where Judas Maccabeus comes in, Judas Maccabeus was basically the Robin Hood, the Braveheart type of figure. He was basically a leader of Israel. Maybe you read the book of Maccabees or you've heard of the book of Maccabees, the Maccabean revolt, the Maccabean wars. It's kind of like guerrilla warfare. You had this guy named Judas Maccabeus. His nickname was called the Hammer. And here he won a very famous war. It actually goes down. Historians call it one of the top 50 wars in history where this little group of Jewish people revolt against the Greeks, Antigonus Epiphanes, and the Greeks, they come in and they actually fight and win in Emmaus. Emmaus meant to them at one point in time, victory over the oppressors one way to write it emmaus represented a time in history where political victory took place here's the thing jesus wasn't judas maccabeus they wanted him to be that we thought jesus would lead us to victory like judas maccabeus did we thought he'd lead us to victory political victory over the romans who are ruling our land and so what they're doing i don't know what they're doing but they're going to emmaus the place where they had the last victory this is what they go back to this is what they turn to you see again when jesus fails you what do you turn to what do you go back to What did you think? I thought Jesus would satisfy me, but he didn't, so therefore I'm going to go back to Emmaus. What is your road to Emmaus? What is that thing you go back to when Jesus doesn't fulfill the things you think he should fulfill? Is it a person? Is it a pill? What is your drug of choice? What is your relationship of choice? What do you think? This will be the thing. My life is disoriented. I'm disillusioned with Jesus. He's not satisfying me. He's not meeting my needs like I thought he would, and so I'm going to go to something else to meet those needs, and that is what they're turning to. And that's where Jesus meets them. I love that Jesus, again, meets them in their disillusionment. He meets them in their despair. He's like, tell me about it. I want to hear your hearts. Jesus is so faithful and patient with us. If you right now are disillusioned with Jesus or Christianity or the church, let me say this, Jesus is willing to walk with you and listen. What things? What things? What things did you think would satisfy you? What things did you think the Messiah should do that he didn't do? But you know what he does? He's so faithful to listen but he also calls out. <laughs> and he calls out beautifully and brilliantly, but before we even we move to that, because that's just so profound to me, before we do that, I want to see that Jesus is just willing to listen to us. And as we're talking to him, I find this really interesting in verse 22. Can we keep reading uh, verse 22? It says, Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. I mean, I know this is pointed out a lot, but it's worth noting, obviously. Uh, The women saw the empty tomb. They go, Jesus is not there. An angel told us he's alive. They think it's a fairy tale. They don't listen to the women. This is where I think we get it wrong, men probably just very often. But this is the point. Women, as according to every gospel, were the first eyewitnesses of Jesus, and that is beautiful to me. The women whose testimony wasn't believed by the disciples, the women whose testimony would never be held up in court, you guys know in that day and time, a woman's testimony would never be held up in court, sadly. It was not accepted, it was not received as truth. It was just a fairy tale. Couldn't be believed. Uh, the point is this. If you and I were to make up a religion... Would we have women be the first eyewitnesses at this point in time? Probably not. But why are they? Because that's the way it went. Because that's how it happened. Obviously, women are the first eyewitnesses. As noted in every gospel that way to say, hey, do you not realize? We're not here to make things up. We're actually going to make it look harder than it is. It's actually appear like women, the first eyewitnesses, really? Yes. And he, this is actually what Cleopas and them are saying. They're saying, we actually had some women who saw it, but no, we don't believe them. Like, they, they saw this empty grave. I, I, guys, I have to, like, point this out. Uh, There are about five things in scriptures when it comes to the resurrection, not in scriptures, just in life, that most people agree upon. So here's the idea. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, um, credible historians will all land on these five basic common truths. They disagree on what it might mean, but they'll all believe to these five things. Here's the five things really quick up here. Maybe you've heard this before, but it's worth noting. People will agree, a credible historian, a secular historian will agree, Jesus was a historical person. That's not controversial. They will agree, Jesus was crucified. Yes, there's enough literature, not just in the Bible, but outside the Bible to say he died by crucifixion. They will agree the tomb was empty, that they did not find the wrong tomb, because that just does not make sense, but the tomb was empty. How was it empty? That's the question, but they'll agree. They'll agree that the followers believed he rose from the grave and appeared to them. Yes, they will believe that. Yes, of course, they, they claimed that. I'm not saying we believe that, but they claimed that. They will agree to that. The fifth thing uh, they will agree to is the disciples were radically changed and emboldened. These are not hard to believe. It honestly does not take a lot of faith to believe in these things. These are pretty much, for the most part, you know, recognized by anyone and everyone who just looks at history. Yeah, he was a real person. Yeah, he died by death by crucifixion. Yeah, the tomb was empty. We're not going to say how, but yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, they really believe they saw him. I'm not. Again, we don't say we believe they saw him, but yeah, yeah, their lives are completely changed. I'll even add a sixth one. Yeah, we believe also that these eleven died for this or suffered brutally for this. Yeah, these are not hard things to believe. The question probably lies on why was the tomb empty. How was the tomb empty? There's not a lot of options there. (laughs) The options are either option one, the Romans and the enemies of Jesus stole the body, or option two, the disciples stole the body. That's how they view it. Both don't really make sense, obviously. If the Romans stole the body... And here are these men going around claiming this, the tomb is empty, he's risen. They go, oh, guys, we took the body because we were afraid you were going to take it, so here's the body, right? Or the second option is the disciples stole the body of Jesus. And they say, hey, did you steal the body of Jesus? And they say, uh, yeah, like, we don't want to die for that. Like, here's the body of Jesus, let's turn it over. Or let's at least one of the 11 say, you know what, we made this up, we did steal the body, we hid it, we buried it somewhere else, we, we made this whole thing up. But that's not what happens. All of them die for this truth. You know, I love actually what one philosopher, Blaise Pascal, said about that idea. He says... Um, I believe the witnesses that get their throats cut. I love that. So when you're pressed, when you're pushed to challenge, like, hey, did you make this up? Did you you make this up? You think one would crack. The point is, these five things are not really that hard to believe. Historians say, yeah, those are probably mostly true. There's enough evidence for that, whether in scriptures or outside of scriptures, that kind of points to those realities. But why was the tomb empty? Did his friends steal it? Did his enemies steal it? No. Neither makes sense. Neither complete. The whole thing is this: Jesus is risen. The women saw the empty tomb. Peter saw the empty. T- the whole why? Because he's not there. He is risen. He is risen indeed. the The whole thing is that Jesus now is encountering his disciples to make that reality known. I want us to see Jesus in this way that he goes, "I will meet you where you're at." So we just read uh, all the way through verse 24. So these women, they, they saw him. They said, "Now here's verse 25." Jesus listens, but number two, the second point is that Jesus gives them an unexpected revelation. Jesus now says, let me tell you where you're missing it. So number two, an unexpected revelation. Here we go. Verse 25. And Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Oh my gosh, this is beautiful to me. What I would give to have the teaching of Jesus goes, hey, hey, let me show you from Moses, that's Genesis through Deuteronomy, to the prophets. Let me show you from start to finish all the things concerning himself, but all the things concerning Jesus. He goes, you guys have missed it. This has been all about me from the very beginning. Again, I can't imagine sitting with Jesus, not knowing it's Jesus, listening to Jesus give you a teaching about Jesus. Like, could you imagine that teaching? If I could play that, that's all I do for Easter, but like, yo, listen to the audio of Jesus talking about Jesus. Unbelievable. But what he's doing is he says, let me show you how this speaks of me. I, I really do wonder, what did he do? Like, what did Jesus go for? Did Jesus say, hey, didn't you see the pattern I left you in scriptures? Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale the son of man to be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. Hey, don't you remember Daniel with the lions? Three days and three nights, he'd come out alive. Don't you remember Abraham and Isaac offer your son, your only son, whom you love? On the third day, he'd come back alive. Do you not know this? On the third day I've left you this pattern of death and resurrection. Do you not see this? Psalm twenty two, that the Messiah would suffer, that Jesus would quote from Psalm twenty two or Isaiah fifty three concerning all the suffering of the Messiah on behalf of the people of Israel. Like did you not see this? How do you not see this? That there's always in scripture this theme of suffering and glory, suffering and glory. There's never gonna be glory without suffering. Did you not know that this Messiah had to suffer before there could ever be glory? It can't just be glory. He had to suffer, but then there is glory—the resurrection. How'd you not see this? And he just opens up the scriptures. I would love that. It's a beautiful day when Christians read the Bible differently. Um, Meaning, I think for so long I used to read the Bible in like a moralistic way. What does God want me to do? And there's a lot of imperatives, a lot of commands. The Bible is not so much supposed to be read in a moralistic way as much as a gospel-centered Jesus way. Where is Jesus in this? How did Jesus fulfill this? This is about the person of Jesus. Now, out of that, I will know how to live my life. Out of that, I need to follow the commands and the ways of Jesus. But where does it speak of Jesus? When I read David and Goliath, it's not like, look at one day you can be David. fight your Goliath and beat your Goliath. No, no, Jesus defeated the ultimate Goliath sin, hell and death. Every story, every analogy, every parable is pointing back to the person of Jesus. I love this. He's like, let me show you all these things concerning me. I can imagine this. like, just hear that teaching going, everything we thought we believe is now wrong. Like, yes, suffering and glory, death and resurrection. There's two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. Did you not see this throughout scriptures? How did you miss this? He was offering us a better way Jesus gave them exactly what they need in that moment. You know what the answer to their despair was? This is so weird. The answer to their despair was a Bible study. <laughs> oh no, I just find that so fascinating. The answer to like their problem, he's like, let me just open up the scriptures and tell you all things about me. Like no one ever, if someone's going through it, like, hey, let me give you a Bible study. I know you're going through it. You're like, don't talk to me. But Jesus like, let me give you, this. this will help. You've been believing the wrong things. You had the wrong scripts. You'd hope for the wrong things. Did you not know that I would come, not to restore the power of the nation of Israel, but to seek and to save that which is lost, to restore and redeem everyone, everywhere who calls upon the name of the Lord? That's why I've come, suffering and glory. This is why I've come. And he speaks of all these things concerning himself. Jesus is so patient. He's so gracious. He's so loving. He's so kind. Their intellectual issues and problems they had, he satisfies. Those problems you might have, he, he, he just be patient. He can. He will. He'll let him walk through the word with you. You know, faith does come by hearing and by hearing the word of God. I don't know, it just does. Come, you still have questions, come. Come next week, we'll keep going. Faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word. Watch God grow in your faith and go, wow, wow, I didn't see that, I didn't know that. God, you're so good, you're so profound. This is what Jesus is so faithful to do time and time again. And can I point this out? Notice how the disciples are just ignorant, clueless, helpless, helpless. Like, this is my—he he calls them foolish ones, <laughs> Jesus. He's like, hey, let me meet you in your despair. Oh, you're so foolish. Like, I just—I love this about Jesus, right? Here's what's so profound about this. This is an argument, I do believe, for this being a unique uh, piece of literature. Here's the idea. The cluelessness of the disciples show how this is a reliable, objective event reporting. What I mean by that is, if you and I are to go around and make up this world religion— I don't think I would want to like put in the Bible when Jesus calls me foolish one. Like if I was like watching Luke, I'd be like, hey Luke, can you leave out the part where Jesus calls me foolish one? Like I'd really appreciate that. No, why? Why does he do it that way? Because that's how it happens. The point of it is the disciples are not created to be like at least some type of heroes. They're arguing, they're bickering, who's the greatest? And they're saying, Jesus, don't die. Get behind me, Satan. Like all these things, the disciples appear so foolish. And the reason of that is because that's how it went. It's not here to, to, to make it look good. It's not here to dress it up. It's telling us how it went. I think this is another beautiful argument for why you can count this book. This is so different. They'll usually paint spiritual leaders as heroes. These are failures in need of a hero. This is so different how it is written. Keep going, that's verse 27. He opens up the scriptures. I love this, verse 28, keep reading. It says, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as if uh, he were willing to go farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When they were at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And that's when their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. I love this. He gives us Bible study. They're, they're going. They're close to the town. They're like, "Hey, stay with us. It's pretty late now. Like, can you stay with us?" He's like, "Yeah." I love that it says he indicated he would have gone farther. That is just Jesus. Hey, you want to go farther away from me? I'll keep going with you. Again, I don't get the grace of kindness of God. I don't. I don't. You want to keep going further? I, I would have gone further. I would have kept talking with you. Like, no, no, come stay. Come stay. Like, it's, it's late. Let's have a meal. Then they have this meal with Jesus. He takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, passes it out to them, and they realize this is Jesus. Notice that Jesus is just redoing what he did us a couple days ago with the Last Supper. He, they bre- took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it, He's doing what he just did a few days ago. And it's over a meal they recognize it's Jesus. And here, is, this is so important for us as a church. So often you might only come here to encounter Jesus, but Jesus will meet you on the road. He'll meet you in a home. He'll meet you over a meal. Do you understand that Jesus wants to meet you where you're at? Listen, do you understand that church cannot just be like isolated to this, this moment right here? We need to meet in homes. We need to have a meal. We need to go on the road and talk about Jesus. This is what I love. You see Jesus, goes, I'll go with you. I'll talk with you. It can't just be here. It can be here. But it has to be more than that. It has to be more than that. It's over the meal. Their eyes are open. They go, oh my gosh, I get it now. You're Jesus. Oh, yeah. Bye. Vanishes. Unbelievable. And I want, us to see, I want us to see this. Jesus wants to meet us in different ways, in different areas. He wants to speak with us. In Revelation 3, 20, uh, I quoted this on a Good Friday, but let me just read this to you. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Do you, do you hear this? The church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, the church who's getting it all wrong in Revelation 3. He goes, listen i stand at the door and knock if you open i'll come in and eat with you i love that god loves to eat with us that's, just, that's my favorite thing like i love you with god it's my favorite but yeah i can bond with you over eating let's do it but i love you because i'll eat with you meaning i just want intimacy i want relationship i don't want to be this hit and run thing i want to spend some quality time with you i want face-to-face time with you i want to talk with you this is what god wants easter's not so much just do you believe this you do okay good you check the box go dine with jesus spend some time with jesus do you see that you will have a revelation of Jesus in those moments? Are you just eating with him, enjoying him, spending time with him? This is our Jesus. Jesus wants to meet us in these moments. I try to write it out this way. Listen, Jesus cares about the questions you have. That's why he opens up the scriptures. But he cares about the needs of your soul, and that's why he eats with you. He goes, let me do both. You have questions? Let's open up the word of God. There's some soul needs going on? Let's just eat some food. This is our Jesus. It's so much more than I intellectually believe in that moment in history, he died and rose again. It's also I've experienced, I've tasted and seen the Lord is good. I've I've firsthand experienced the goodness of God. Have you experienced the goodness and the power of the resurrection of Jesus in this way? He wants to. He wants to come in and dine with you. He loves you. Do we understand what Easter is? It's so much more, do you believe this? Yes, do you believe this? But do you dine with him? Do you walk with him? Do you invite him into your home? Come, tell us more. This is what they had. They realize now at this point in time, they had this unexpected revelation through scriptures and through a meal of this is who Jesus is. It's Jesus. Then you can imagine they freaked out. So he vanishes. This is our third point. Number three is this unexpected fire. Let's just read verse 32. All right, so he vanishes from them. Verse 31. Verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened, up, opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem that seven mile journey back. And they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So they had this unexpected fire. I I love this. It says, did our hearts not burn within us? Like, while he was talking, we knew there's something about this. This is different. God is speaking to us. I know it's a weird phrase and weird terminology. Like, when we read that, we think, like, oh, they had heartburn. Like, it's so sad. No, like, like, oh, when Jesus spoke to me, like, I knew he was speaking to me. I don't know if you've ever had those moments where Jesus just speaks to you and he's like, I'm speaking to you. And you're like, yes, I hear. God's like, I love you. I made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your mind, don't you know the theme of suffering and glory? Don't you know that the Messiah must die and rise again? I died for you. I didn't just die in a general way. I died and rose again for you. I conquered death for you. It's like they knew that Jesus was speaking to them. Their hearts burned within us. Listen, you need to hear these words from Jesus, this unexpected fire of God speaking to you. Have you tasted and seen that? Have you heard that? This is what I love about these guys. They immediately go back and tell them, do you not know what just happened? We just saw Jesus. Like they couldn't resist. When someone's heart is on fire like that, I mean, you don't have to force people to evangelize. You don't have to force people to do things. It's like, they can't wait. It's like, hey, we just saw him. He's alive. He's risen. You know, how did these knuckleheads who are fearful, hiding, walking away, end up being the most bold humans on planet earth that died being fed to lions? How? They saw the risen Jesus. Do we not understand that they saw something that day? How did these cowards who would deny him, who would curse his name before the cross... Say, you can hang me upside down. It doesn't matter. Jesus is risen. I saw him. They saw something. It changed history as we know it. They experienced the risen and resurrected Jesus, and this is something every disciple must experience. You must know that Jesus is risen, and he's risen for you. How my heart burns within us. God, you're speaking. You're moving. Didn't, when his word was open, did not God just pinpoint that area of my life? You know what I love is Jesus met them on the road to Emmaus, Right? not so that they could keep going that direction, but so that they would change directions. Jesus didn't meet them just so they just keep going and going and going. He wanted to change the direction and go back. If you are walking away right now from Jesus, Jesus will walk with you, but it's not just so you keep going in that direction, it's so you will turn back. And this is so necessary. Maybe you have been walking away from Jesus. In his goodness and kindness and love, he'll meet you and walk with you. But he'll also in his goodness and kindness and love call you oh foolish one. He'll also say, hey, it's me. You want to go back. When you've experienced that Jesus, is not Jesus going now, go back to Jerusalem. How dare you walk away from me? Wasn't that? It's like, we got to go back to Jerusalem. Like, yeah. When you've experienced this Jesus known as a force on you, I want to walk back. I'll go back seven miles. I don't care. I need, I need everyone to know He is risen. He is risen indeed, they said. I'm willing to go back for that truth. You need to taste and see that Jesus is good, that He is risen. You need to know Him in this way that he still moves, he still changes things. This person who there's more books written about, more art about, more movies made, more everything, more documentary, more things on the person, why? Why is everyone fascinated with Jesus? I believe ultimately because we know he is risen. Dozens of people have claimed to be God. Dozens of people have said, hey, I'm gonna be the Messiah, I'm gonna be God. And usually they get a small following and it dies out very quickly. Usually we actually don't even know their names. We forget their names. But why did this seem to stick? Why did this seem to lead to the greatest movement in human history where a couple billion people all over the globe right now, today, are celebrating the fact that Jesus is risen because he is risen? That's why. There's no other alternative option. I mean, yes, do we get this? What are the other options? I mean, I understand it takes faith to believe in Jesus. I'm not saying here's proof. I'm saying here's evidence for the resurrection. And this is enough evidence where you have to make a choice. Everything requires faith. Everything. I think it takes more faith to not believe this. To say, no, I, I'll come up with another explanation for the empty tomb and for the disciples giving their lives for this and dying and their kids dying in front of them. I'll give I'll other explanations for this. No, there's another no explanation. Jesus is risen. He's risen. He's risen for you and for me. And let's not say this, believe on him, call upon him, trust in him, look to him. This is so much more. This is not a story. This is a historical event that changes human history. The knockout punch of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus. This is everything. This is everything. That is why we hear. That's why every Sunday, I want to preach the resurrection of Jesus to some extent. And this is not some old message. This is still good news. It's still new news that he is risen. And have you experienced this resurrected Jesus in your life? Have you called upon him? Have you, have you said, Jesus, I need you. I surrender. I'm done. I'm walking away from you. I've been walking away from you. I'm on the road to Emmaus right now, to some other glory point that I want again. But Jesus is like, no, no, I'll meet you. I'll walk with you, but you got to go back. I'll walk with you, but it's time to come home. Tell others. I'll meet you. I love you. I'll, 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 I'll speak into your disillusionment. I'll speak into your despair. I'll listen. But you need to know that I have risen. I'm here. I'm in front of you. I'd say believe in this Jesus. Amen. Just bow our head, close our eyes, pray, talk to Jesus. Father, we just want to say thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus, there is something about that name. That kings and kingdoms will all pass away. Jesus, we call upon you. We look to you. We believe that you are the risen Lord. We believe, Jesus, that you've died for our sins and you rose again. Jesus, I just want to pray for everyone, anyone in this room right now that they would call upon you if they have not. They would confess you if not. That, Jesus, they would say you are Lord, you are God. That we would not walk away any longer. We not think we have a better option. There's no better options than you, Jesus. We look to you. Where else can we go? You alone have the words of life. We just want to say thank you, Jesus, in your name. Church, before I say amen, I want to say this is the gospel. The gospel is not one day you die and go to heaven. The gospel is that you get Jesus. The gospel is that heaven is great, but Jesus is better. Can I tell you that Jesus is risen? Jesus is alive. Jesus has come to make all things new. And I'd say this, if you've been kind of in that moment or space where you go, yeah, yeah, I once walked with him, but he failed me. I once walked with him, but he left me disillusioned and in despair, and he left me in this place that I don't want him anymore, and you're walking away. Jesus will walk with you. He'll speak into you and say, come. I am, I'm the son, it's me, it's me. He wants to eat a meal with you. He wants to say, look at me. Here's what I wanna get at. I would love for you guys, just this moment, church, just to be in prayer. I do believe that there are maybe one or some that say, you know what, I need to call upon the name of the Lord. You know, here's what the Bible says. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, it's it's that simple. Confess, but it's not, it's, it's simple, but it's profound. It's a lot. It's saying, Jesus, be my Lord. Don't just, I'm not just saying it. Be my Lord. I want you to rule my life. I'm done doing it my way. And then it's saying, I believe, Jesus, that you rose from the grave. I believe that you conquered sin and hell and death. What was once terrifying, death. Death is now just a gardener. It buries us, but we come out brand new. This is not something we fear anymore. He conquered it for us. And so I just ask you guys, I'd ask in this moment say, come, call upon the Lord. In Revelation 22, verse 17, it says this, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Do you know that God is speaking? I do believe just saying, come, come to me, come to me. Call upon me. There's nothing better than encountering the risen Jesus. I just want to give an opportunity. If there is anyone who says, I need Jesus, I want to come. I want to surrender. I'm done walking away. We're just going to worship a little bit. I'm going to stay up here. I'm just going to ask that you'd come up here. They'd call upon Jesus. They'd say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm done walking away from you. Church, I'm going to ask that during this time that you just pray that you'd worship and if anyone wants to receive Jesus, call upon him, would you just come? We just want to pray with you. We want to walk you in a prayer. We want to walk you into this person of Jesus. So church, why don't you just bow your head and pray? We're going to worship. If there's anyone in this place who says, you know what, I want to follow Jesus. It's not some necessarily emotional thing. Jesus will meet your questions and your needs, but he'll also meet the needs of your soul. Let him do that. Stop fighting him on that. So church, pray. Anyone wants to come. Come. We'll give you some time to respond to the gospel of Jesus. Let's do that.